Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we are talking about heeding the call. But before I get into our topic for the day, I wanted to make a very special announcement. Next week, we are having a guest, Jane Miller, from Healing Companions, Ordinary Dogs Transforming Lives. She's the author of Healing Companions, Ordinary Dogs, and Their Extraordinary Power to Transform Lives, and the Executive Director of Healing Companions, Inc. So we'll be delighted to have her, and I hope she feels very welcome on the show. She has a background in working with psychiatric service dogs, so I feel like For all our listeners that also have a psychiatric service dog or perhaps are considering getting one per a medical doctor's recommendation, this could be a great opportunity for you guys to listen in and figure out what is behind all of it, what it looks like from someone who really knows their stuff, and that'll be airing on Tuesday. I will be including her photo in our show notes today, along with her website, in case you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Jane. Next announcement I have is actually in honor of my dog. Today, he turns 17 years old and doesn't look a day over seven, so super proud that he's so healthy, happy, and still in our lives. So just a little shout out to Lord Barrison. And on a more personal note, I'm really excited because our listeners are growing You guys are sharing material and you're getting the word out there about the show. So that's really honestly very kind that you're reaching out and sharing dog guru with the world around you. I'm looking at our geography and we're getting people from Sweden and we've got people in Canada and all over the U.S. and Iceland. So thanks for listening in, joining us and sharing us. It's wonderful that so many people believe in what this podcast is about and want to reach out to people who could perhaps use the information they find. So keep it up, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think I could put enough thank yous into one single podcast, but I think that might suffice for now. So now let's get into our topic of the day. And the title of the topic is Heed the Call. I think it's really important to listen to your dog and to pay attention to the messages that they're sending to be aware of their body language and mindful of how you're coming across to them, and to really respect a warning when it's offered. I recently read about a story about a woman whose dog, who in her opinion, without any sort of provocation, has started to become really fearful, and he tries to duck and hide, and when someone goes to approach him, he starts growling, and it's resulted in two bites with exactly that context. When the dog growled at her, she reprimanded the dog. And that is one of the worst things you can do, and I'll tell you why. Dogs give warnings for a reason. And if they aren't respected, they only have really one other option, and that's to attack whatever they feel is a threat at the time. And if that's you, that's you. I actually sent her an email and offered her a personal recommendation uh, to a behaviorist that I thought would really be best suited to help her in her area someone that was a colleague of mine and I know when they go to meet that she'll take every part of the environment and the dynamic into account before offering any advice on how to proceed in the meantime I did advise her since she has young children to go ahead and make sure the dog is muzzled until she does get a professional involved but I told her you know the one thing you don't want to do is to reprimand a dog when they're growling at you because then you're taking away a warning system that is honestly very clear. I mean, if a dog is growling at you, 
It's only gonna escalate in one direction if you continue to push. Even worse, if you're gonna corner them and were to push them because they, like I said earlier, they're gonna feel uncomfortable and threatened and they're gonna respond in kind. And with my history in aggression, I can tell you the most dangerous form of aggression is a dog that doesn't signal. And sometimes they stop signaling for the very reason that we were just discussing. Someone's reprimanded them, someone has smacked them when they did it, and so the dog stopped warning, but they kept problem solving because whatever was originally triggering the fear or the aggression or the response that the owners were noting, the negative response or reaction often resulting in bites, they took away the warning bell. You know, they reprimanded the dog for something the dog is programmed to do, and they do it so this way, if you can, especially if you can verbally hear a dog start rumbling, I feel like that's a great aid. I feel like in that context, it's really beneficial to listen to the message. You can work on triggers and what's causing it and really getting your hands dirty under the hood in a minute, but do not ever, ever stop them from warning you, from signaling you, because you're really leaving them no choice. They're going to be more like a loose cannon that you don't know when it's going to go off because now they've learned not to respond verbally and they feel that that was even more threatening. So now they're not going to go and take that road more than once. They're going to go and change tactics, which means not giving you the warning that you need. So if your dog ever does growl at you, please do not reprimand them for that. They are giving you a warning for a reason. I always, at that point, would go ahead and if you do feel it's truly out of the blue, contact a professional. A lot of dog trainers may not know how to handle this appropriately. It's not that they aren't good dog trainers. It's that when you have something kind of show up and surface out of the blue, there could be any number of reasons that it's surfacing. For example, some dogs, when they develop a medical problem, will begin to aggress. In other cases, sometimes it's a shift in environment, something that you or I wouldn't really pay a lot of attention to, but you have a a sensitive dog, so they are paying attention to it, and they do feel differently about the environment as a result. And what I can tell you is that there always is a reason. Either it's a medical cause, either it's an enabling dynamic that they're used to, or they're feeling threatened and there's no resolution. There's always a cause for why a dog aggresses. And... There are a a ton of other reasons, you know, hierarchy problems and what have you. So you need somebody who's really qualified. An applied animal behaviorist is ideal. Somebody that has a huge background and a lot of education in the inner workings of animal behavior and psychology. Even better if they're doing both. You know, that's what we offered. We had a whole history of complex behavior modification focused mostly on aggression cases, but a lot of aggression is it starts as anxiety. I mean, it takes time to develop, but when a dog doesn't feel like a resolution is or a solution is ever being offered, they just kind of spiral until somebody does something about it. And that's not to say that you get aggressive with them or you reprimand them for what they're doing. You need to identify the why of what they're doing. Why are they doing it? And unraveling a ball of yarn like that, it sometimes takes a professional to tell you what you might not be considering could have been a trigger and how to handle it appropriate going forward to keep everybody safe. In this particular case, the woman was actually pregnant and she didn't really see that as something that could be relevant. But to a dog, psychologically, 
it absolutely could be one of the triggers going on here. It's a shift in environment. It's a shift in behavior patterns from his owner. It's a different dynamic. And dogs often can sense things and feel things that we can't. So with that in mind, you have to be realistic and say, you know, he's keying into what's going on with me, just like I'm paying attention to what's going on negatively with him. I don't value dogs over children. I have a child who is my whole world, and I would never want anything bad to happen to him. But if all of a sudden, or what to me seemed like out of the blue, one of my dogs started acting completely out of character, the first thing I would do is I would take him to the vet and do a full medical workup, blood work, possibly a scan to see if anything is going on, if there's a tumor developing. And then if all of those things were clear and there weren't any issues medically that were contributing to it, then I have to go back and I go, I need to go, okay, so what is it that he's experiencing that has triggered this behavior? Because it is not out of the blue. While I may not have noticed it developing, which I would, but I need to focus on what the triggers are when he aggressed what that looked like. You know, what is the process that leads to the level of escalation that I saw? Kind of in that same vein, I recently read about someone whose dog I used to know who attacked their son, which is horrible. I I hurt for any child that's ever been injured by a dog. In fact, before I ever started my career, when I was a young child, I was attacked by two dogs while I was riding my bike. And it was extremely traumatic. And it scared me off of dogs altogether for a really long time. Surprisingly, I ended up coming back around uh, through working with greyhounds, actually, at a rescue where I could really bond with them and get to know their personalities. And generally, they're really calm dogs. They have really, really relaxed personalities. I mean, you have the the excited moments, but generally, they're giant couch potatoes. So for me, that was as far as I could go with the history that I had. So I would never wish on any child ever to have a negative experience with a dog because some of those take years to unwrite and forget and move forward from. And then some people never do. But upon examining their story a little more closely, it turns out that somebody came to the door, the dog started going ballistic, the mom wasn't present, she was doing something else, and the baby was on the floor, and the dog went nuts, you know, alerting that somebody's at the door, and the next thing you hear is a squabble between the dog and the son. And I could just tell by the level of intensity that I heard that this was not a one-time thing. This has happened before. I mean, some dogs are kind of like trucks and they'll run your kid over, but really aggressing when it comes to a child, that's a behavior that they've cultivated. That is a behavior that they've done more than once. And if it is the first time and it wasn't addressed appropriately by a professional who understands behavior and has a focus in aggression, then you could be doing more harm than good at that point. I mean, having somebody that isn't qualified handling such a volatile situation is a problem. But she did break my cardinal rule, which I have with every owner, with every dog. I have two service dogs. They're both extremely well-trained. I never leave them unattended with my son, never a day in his life. And the reason I don't do that is because any dog is capable of biting. It doesn't mean that they're 
poor or bad-natured dogs, it has a lot to do with context, which is often negated once a child is bit. You know, you're not thinking about what led up to it. You're just thinking about the result of that. So I already had a podcast the other day about kids and dogs, what to do and what to avoid. So definitely have a listen to that if you have children at home. But please take this warning for what it is. And it is. It's a warning because if you don't understand that any nice dog has the capability to aggress, you're putting everyone in your world at risk. Your neighbors, your friends, your kids, everyone. Because while that may not be their natural state, because it probably isn't, it is just a series of contexts and events that lead up to a bite. Unmediated protocol is what results in things like that, in escalations, in development, in cultivation of behavior, all the things that play into the final call. And going back to that unfortunate situation with this woman and her son, she also mentioned that the dog wasn't tolerant of their son climbing all over him. Well, shock of all shocks. Most dogs are not okay with that, especially dogs that have any sort of tendencies towards dominance or any sort of fear-based reactivity. And even if they don't, I don't recommend that any child or any person crawl on an animal. To a dog, that's rather invasive, and most dogs are not flexible emotionally enough to tolerate that. And that being said, she wasn't in the room when the doorbell rang. She wasn't in the room when the dog started to act out, so there was no mitigation of that behavior. There was no diffusion or instruction or redirection. All of that was gone because she wasn't even present for it. And her child and her dog are picking up the tab for what could have been an avoided situation. And I don't mean to sound cold. I'm just being realistic. Dogs, you know, aggression does not happen in a vacuum. It happens through experiences and all the things I've already listed. But many bites that I've dealt with in regards to clients They happened over time. There was a warning. Sometimes the dog started freezing. Then the dog started walking away from them. Perhaps the child, if there was a child involved, would start, you know, pulling at the dog or whatever. And at first the dog tries to leave, but then the kid gets more mobile and starts chasing after the dog. And one day he just flips around and bites the kid. Well, it was a process. It was a process to get there. I would advise anybody who is not a behavioral specialist to hire a professional when you're seeing bouts of aggression. And furthermore, go ahead and bring them to your vet, do a workup, find out if anything medically is contributing to this new behavior. Because if a dog is in pain, they're more likely to aggress. And if something is going on within the brain or their physical makeup, You may not be aware of it because they're not whining all day, but that doesn't mean it isn't there. And often things like that can be treated somewhat easily, but you have to know what you're dealing with before you can treat something. And you have to know what is causing this. Now, let's say it isn't medical. Let's say it's completely behavioral. So that goes back to what are the triggers? Where is it coming from? What's changed in the environment? Because that's a big one. Dogs are usually more sensitive to an environment than any child, which is surprising because children are acutely aware of their surroundings. But dogs, in some ways, are even more keyed into an environment because it's a survival instinct. Even if they don't feel threatened by their owners, their ability to gauge environment change or behavior pattern change and things of that nature is really dead on. It's really, really dead on. So that's something to be mindful of. So now going back to those two cases, what would I have done if they had been in front of me, if they had been clients of mine? 
The first thing I would have done is done a home evaluation where I could meet with them and the dog, get as much of an in-depth history that I could actually manage to pull from within the family. I mean, everybody in the family, young children, adults, everybody's a part of that dynamic. So when I used to do consults, especially relating to aggression, I always had everybody sit down with me. So this way, first of all, I didn't have to repeat myself. Everybody was hearing the same thing at the same time. But also because dogs are really good at sending a message. So a lot of the time when I'd be doing a consult, within the course of the hour where I'd be consulting, I almost within five minutes could tell what their contributors were. I would do a history to make sure I didn't miss any that weren't visible right off, but generally I already could tell by the dog's body language who he was avoiding, who he was close to, and what really played into the events that they are describing. Whenever children are involved, I always will start, and this may seem unfair to the dog, but I actually would use a muzzle. I don't do it in an abrasive way. I always put peanut butter or a treat inside it so the dog willingly offers their nose because you don't need an aggressive dog getting aggressive when you're trying to prevent a bite on your family or yourself. So we would always start with a muzzle until we really got a good baseline going with the dog, a good dialogue, a good foundation. The dog was learning. We were seeing progression. And then I would always do things in small segments when it came to having children around so that it was palatable for the dog, so that it wasn't over done and overstressing for the dog because dogs are sensitive. So if I noticed that they were showing signs of aversion or anxiety, I knew that we had come as far as we could in that appointment or as far as we could in that behavior at that time. So then I'd advise a client to, you know, focus on whatever skill set it was and I would give them a time frame on how long to work on it. And then I'd come back and take it essentially the environmental temperature again. I'd come back okay, what's been working, what hasn't been working, what sorts of behaviors are you seeing? But at no point do I advise a client get angry or physical with the dog. And that's whether or not kids are involved. That's really a safety thing for the owner because a lot like this woman who previously didn't have problems with this dog, if the dog is taking off and hiding and then you go and pull them by the collar and try and drag them out, you're really asking for them to respond in the only way that's still left to protect themselves, and that's with a bite. Then I would focus on things like positive associations. Now, I don't do any of that until I have a baseline going with the dog and we have a a good rapport building because without a good rapport and a level of trust, the dog isn't going to really reach their potential. Not with me, not with the owner, not with the behavior. So you have to be realistic and understand that aggression didn't happen overnight and it's not going to be fixed overnight. It's a process and it's not an easy process. It's not for the faint of heart, but if you love your dog and you're dedicated to their welfare and that of your family, then you need to be just as invested in turning it around so that, first of all, I I gotta be honest, I hated when I was working in rescue, hearing stories about a dog attacking somebody and the result being they sent the dog to a rescue or the Humane Society or called animal care and control. And the reason it bothered me so much was because essentially they took that loaded cannon and sent it abroad. So that really became a community risk instead of something that was necessarily going to be addressed. There are some 
rescues that invest in training. There are some fosters that personally invest in training. But the rule in general is that that's not normally happening. If you get rid of an aggressive dog, you're either passing on the problem to the next person who perhaps isn't more qualified and doesn't necessarily know your dog as well as you do. So they won't see a problem developing the way you were able to see it if you were around. And essentially they become a target. Now you've got a whole history of aggression that's developed. But what I can tell you is this, as somebody that really focused in behavior and specifically the diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation of aggressive dogs, there are fixes to the problem that you're experiencing. There are tools that you could utilize and apply within your home to really turn the situation around. So take your precautions, start muzzling the dog, especially if children are present. If a dog is trying to hide, I would make sure that I was never pulling them out because I've already learned how they're gonna respond to that, not that I would advise it anyway. And then I would wanna know, okay, are there other situations where the dog is displaying this kind of behavior or is it the same thing over and over? And once you've established what the triggers are with what the contributing factors might be, then it's time to start rewriting history. You can't change the past, but you can improve it by burying it, by covering it up with so many good events and experiences and knowledge and education that comes from having a dialogue with your dog that you can start reestablishing boundaries that perhaps at one point you had but also setting a standard for your dog to aspire to, to start changing that behavior, but doing it in a positive, non-invasive way and in small stages. Like I said, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not an easy process, but you don't want to be passing a problem from one person to another. That's, that's not good for the dog. And frankly, certainly not good enough for the new owner because this dog is not as bonded to them as it was you. And if you were running into aggression, they're for sure going to run into aggression. So when I'm teaching things like a positive association, say, for example, the dog, every time the child walks into the room, is growling. Well, obviously, that's not good. But he's sending a message that he's uncomfortable. So what I would do is I'd take the furthest distance away where the child was still in eye shot, not able to approach the dog. I'd have the dog on a leash. And every time the child made a sound or did something far away from the dog and the dog kind of peered over and paid attention to it, then I would ask them for some eye contact and give them a reward. And then every time that child was present, I would feed the dog out of my hand, um, give them a lot of affection. As long as they're not actually aggressing, then you're heading into new territory and you're making a positive association. What you don't want to do is reprimand your dog for signaling to you and telling you that they are uncomfortable. And you also don't want to mark it in the wrong time. Because if you mark and give the dog a treat when they're staring at your kid instead of just glancing over, and you're not keeping your practice time brief and your reward system consistent, then you could be training them to continue the aggression. And all of this is truly possible when a positive reinforcement behavioral specialist is involved. Without that, you might not get the sort of response that you were hoping for. Really depends, when it comes to dog trainers, it depends on their background, their education, the history of dogs they've worked with. There are a lot of great trainers that are not applied animal behaviorists, but they still have a lot of 
knowledge and experience when it comes to incidents like that. So my first suggestion would be to find somebody that is an animal behaviorist. And depending on how rural an area you live in, they might not be within driving distance. So in that context, I would alternatively recommend that you find somebody who preferably has a a background in psychology, somebody who has a lot of experience with aggression. You do not want to be the guinea pig and you do not want your dog to be the guinea pig. And my other qualifier would be make sure that they use positive reinforcement to get there because dogs don't learn to stop aggressing if they're afraid or in pain. And those are the motivators behind trying to change the aggressive history and develop a new message that's positive and really sustaining. I mean, there are a ton of different trainers out there. They have a lot of different types of methodology, but in my experience and with all the people that I've worked with, this works. And it works because there's repetition there, there's consistency there, there's trust, there's clarity. And to me and to your dog, those are valuable qualities to have. More specifically, with a dog that's kind of taking off and hiding under a counter, I would work on bonding exercises where I could call their name and offer them lots of treats and make that, even if the dog already has learned when called, making that part of their daily routine several times a day, something that they can kind of expect every single day, I'm already starting to train a behavior that I could utilize later in a situation that is stressful for the dog. For example, if a dog is taking off and hiding, but they've learned that, you know, every time they come when I call, there's a huge reward in it for them, then they're definitely going to be more willing to utilize that when they are stressed out. So I would work on getting a dog to come when called. I would make sure that the hierarchy is intact and you don't do that by telling your dog off or rolling them on their side. These are really poor techniques, but there are plenty of passive ways to send the message that your dog is not the top of the food chain nor the head of the pack. Rather, you're the one in control. You're the one who's going to make the decisions as well as address contributors within the environment, triggers, things like that. Another thing I would have told the owner if they had been a client of mine would be when the dog runs to hide, respect that space. You can always address a relationship problem or an environmental shift afterwards, but pressing them is going to result in you being a chew toy and not in a good way. If there even is a good way to be a dog's chew toy, I don't think there is. To me, context has a lot to do with when and how a dog will aggress and how severe a bite is or how it is manifested. So to me, there's no real rush on taking your dog out from wherever they're hiding. They're already telling you how they feel, which is they're not comfortable. They perhaps aren't confident. Perhaps there's trust issues going on there. For all you know, it may have very little to do with you. You know, you could be at work one day and the dog heard some construction going on in the area and it scared him. So now when certain things happen, he associates with that level of fear again and goes into duck and cover mode. And that right there is something you may not have been privy to, but is still affecting your dog later on. The more positive engagements and interactions your dog has with you, usually rooted in food, I always use food as my first motivator to start sending a different message to the dog because it's one, a distraction, and two, it's something that they truly value. 
So I know based on those two things, my chances of resolving an issue in A, a quicker amount of time and B, the right way without the dog feeling like I'm invading their space or acting as a threat and leaving them to feel violated, I much prefer to talk on their level. You know, like I've said so many times, dogs aren't naturally aggressive. There's always a cause. There's always a trigger. And if they can trust that when they send you a message, it can be respected, you can definitely bet you're going to see less instances of that aggression. I'll also say on that particular comment, I do not permit a dog to aggress against me and just go, oh, okay, it's his couch now. No, I don't do that. But there's a lot of pieces that can play into the big picture here. And without addressing them all, then you're not really going to be making the progress you need to be making. You're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's not going to work. So perhaps today I've given you guys some things to think about, perhaps things that you could share with somebody who might be dealing with an aggressive dog in their home, or you have one in yours and you weren't really sure if it could even be fixed or what that might look like. So again, my advice to you is try and find an, an applied animal behaviorist and a backup to that Or sometimes in conjunction with that, if they're not the same person, you can hire a positive reinforcement trainer that has experience, a lot of experience in this particular arena. I hope that perhaps you've got some food for thought and you've enjoyed this particular broadcast because I know a lot of people do struggle with aggression and they're very well-intentioned people, but they get in over their heads and they try and fix it themselves. And sometimes they can really amplify the problem and send it into overdrive because they don't know all the things they need to be considering, all the things that could be contributing to the problem. Just a little reminder, we're going to have Jane on the show and that will be airing on Tuesday. So look forward to that. The information on Jane Miller will be in the show notes today, just as I said before. And for the record, thank you for all of your questions. We have another episode of Coffee and Canines coming up. Truly, that segment wouldn't even be a reality if it weren't for your submissions. So thank you for contributing in that way. And then if you have any questions or comments, please let me know. We're still running the promotion for 20 minutes for 20 bucks. So if you'd like to speak with me one-on-one, I have a link below where you can schedule that and you can pay the 20 bucks via PayPal and get a professional opinion and some answers to questions that perhaps are weighing on your mind. Please continue sharing and subscribing to our show. I'm so grateful for all the people that are listening in and how our audience is just amplifying. That's awesome. Be sure to drop by our Facebook page and like it. It's facebook.com forward slash dog guru podcast. And if you would like to send me an email directly, my email is dogguru here for you at gmail.com. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste.